0: Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Ephraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today I have the distinguished honor of interviewing Cassandra Washington, who is an educator and an author that I met when I was a, a Chicago Public Schools principal. Cassandra Washington, who are you?
1: <laughs> well, first, hello, and thank you for having me. Um, my name is Cassandra Washington. I am actually in, a retired educator, but I don't think we ever really retire. I uh, was a principal with Chicago Public Schools, but I actually started as a teacher in Chicago Public Schools and then went on to become an assistant principal and then a principal retired, started working again. So I'm now an instructional coach. Uh, with an organization called City Year, City Year Chicago. And on the side, you know, because we do have side hustles, uh, I do some freelance writing. I also have a couple of blogs that I publish. Uh, and I've written a couple of books. Uh, one is called Teach and Take Time for You. And the other one is Meeting Them Where They Are, uh, 10 Tips to Increase Student Engagement. So just a little bit about me. I'm born and raised here in, in Chicago and, and love my city.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm very interested in knowing about, uh, more about your book thinking and your book process. I'm going to ask you soon about that. But can you um, walk us uh, through that professional trajectory and, and why did Cassandra become an educator?
1: Okay, uh, well, I was I had I worked corporate before I became uh, an educator. I actually worked in advertising and marketing, doing marketing research. Uh, and at the time, um, I was actually dating someone at the time, and and his mother was an educator, <clears throat> and she was also, she was what they called then at CPS district superintendent. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to what we have as chiefs, but yes. it was many years ago. And then uh, she asked me was I interested in teaching because they needed more teachers of color at the time uh, in the schools. And at first I was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I went back to school. I decided, yes. So I went back to school and received a master's uh, in teaching at National Lewis University and then started to teach. uh, What did I have at first? I had a fourth grade uh, Mm -hmm. bilingual classroom. Uh, where I stepped in as a mid, in, in the mid year because the teacher left. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, that that was that's
0: the, always uh, cut yeah. tough. Yes. Yeah.
1: That was the start of, of the career. Uh, so I taught a few years and then decided, okay, I want to think about being an administrator. And I had very good principals who were encouraging to take that route. Uh, so I went back to school again <laughs> and received a certificate of educational leadership at National Lewis University and once completing that I became an assistant principal at Walt Disney Magnet School in Chicago uh, worked there for, as an assistant principal about four years went to another school uh, Turner Drew Language Academy was an assistant principal for seven eight years almost and then stepped into the principalship where I was a principal for eight years mm-hmm. uh, as I said retired uh and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, enjoy this retirement. I'm going to travel. I'm going to have a good time. And a friend of mine asked if I could work part-time as an instructional coach for City Year. So I agreed. Then the next year it was, can you work full-time for it? <laughs> Can you work full-time for us?" So I agreed. And so that I've been there uh, for four years. I see.
0: Let me ask you, what Was there any lesson that you learned from your previous career outside of education when you began teaching? Is there anything you brought with you?
1: Uh, What I brought with me was really the skills that you need in order to get jobs in the business world. And I tried to transfer that, that, especially the critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. that people need. So, as an educator, I tried to transfer that to the students and and saying, "Hey, it's not about just the rote stuff and remembering stuff you have to be able to problem solve you have to be able to think through things uh, even when you're interviewing you have to be able to really communicate and express yourself and that's not always what um, was being taught, so to speak uh, just you know people worried about test scores." Mm-hmm. Uh, even before N.W.A. and all these other things that we went through, it was I.G.A.P. It was the Iowa test. But I always encourage my students, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna learn how to work things out. We're gonna learn how to problem solve. Lo- I want you to be able to communicate orally. I want you to be able to write. Uh, I don't want you to just be able to remember stuff. And that's really key. And I, even today, I still see it where Kids aren't necessarily taught those skills that will transfer into being able to build a career. Yeah. So the, the, that's my takeaway from being from corporate and um, into public service. And not only the bureaucracy, but that's a total different, <laughs> total different in, interview.
0: So you had a, 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 a few stints as an AP, yes. uh, uh, too, you said, right?
1: Two
0: or yes. three? two. Uh, what you didn't know in the second stint, what you knew on the second stint as an AP that you didn't know in the first one? What did
1: I know in the second one? Yes,
0: in the, second, the second AP, that second time you become AP, new school, what mm-hmm. did you know or what you knew that you didn't know when you began that first time as an AP?
1: Well, there were a few things. (laughs) When I stepped into being an AP, uh, I went into a school, uh, a very very well-known school, a very political atmosphere. Uh, And my principal at the time was new to the district. Mm -hmm. So he didn't necessarily know the ins and outs, the the who, who, who's who, all of that, Mm -hmm. all of that. So we had to learn. Uh, well, I knew a little more because I worked for CPS. So we kind of had to learn some things together, um, mm-hmm. especially the part of, uh, I would say the politics of it. And, and really listening to people when they want to be heard, not thinking, thinking, okay, here we go. Let me hear what this person has to say. And get a, really get into the root of the issue or the problem that they may have, especially with parents. Because as a teacher, the difference between how you deal with parents as a teacher and how you deal with parents as an administrator is totally different. Totally different. Um, so I had to learn how to uh, create that space for them as an administrator. What's the problem? How can I help? And then just really listening most of the time because they want They want to be heard, and so as the second step, it was a little easier uh, in that in that arena. Plus, the second step, I had a principal who was would allow you to learn more about being an administrator and handing over some things. She felt comfortable enough where she didn't have to control everything. So she felt comfortable enough to say, okay, I want you to learn this. So in your next step, as a principal, you already have that skill.
0: Absolutely. And Cassandra, final question. When you become a superintendent, uh, superintendent I'm sorry, when you become a principal, after all these experiences, was there one or two things that you knew you wanted to do? On the and on, the, on the, your principal there was going to be like in a certain way. Was there anything uh, particular?
1: I think the thing that I really wanted to do uh, was give teachers some type of autonomy in their classrooms, knowing because they're in the trenches with their students every day. They really know those te- They really know those students. So, I wanted to really have, give them that space where they could say, okay, this works best for me. Of course, we have to meet whatever expectations, goals, and directives that the district uh, gave us, but one size doesn't fit all. So, giving them that opportunity to be creative is really, uh, was really important for me. And building um, strong teams was another thing that was important to me.
0: Thank you so much, Cassandra. So, Cassandra, like in Back to the Future, if you could go (laughs) back in time to any of the positions you have held, what would the Cassandra of today tell the Cassandra of then?
1: Wow. Uh, Hmm. Well, I think this Cassandra (laughs) would tell Cassandra in the past that, you cannot control most of the things that happen. So you have to be ready to respond on the dime. Sometimes you don't have time to think things through as much as you would like. Uh, but in all things with being, dealing with students, try to make the best decision for the students. And if it's a mistake, Realize that you are human and that you make mistakes. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, Cassandra, reading books is such a pleasure and a luxury. Imagine you have to give away to a loved one your favorite fiction book and your favorite nonfiction book. What would those be?
1: Wow, I am, I love to read, I do. So it, that's hard to pick my favorite fiction book. Um, I always think about when I was like in seventh grade. I had a teacher who introduced his classroom to African American authors, and it, so you, I'm going back to the 70s now. So, um, so that was a take long us there. Time.
0: Take us there. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so we weren't. So if during that time. We didn't really have the uh, exposure to authors of color. So, this teacher was making a bold move at that time within the school system. And he kind of paid for some of the stuff that he did. You know, he ended up losing his job because of some things that he was uh, exposing us to as far as culture and literature. Yeah, it was a different time. It was a different time. So one of the first books that he introduced us to uh, was Native Son by Richard Wright. And, you know, that story is based in Chicago back in the 40s. Uh, so it was always one of my favorite books, not only because I was introduced to Richard Wright, but it was very well written. Uh, also, my parents lived in Chicago, uh, my father in the 40s. So I could ask him questions about certain things in that book, even though it was fiction, but that experience of being black in Chicago on the South side and how the city was segregated in certain areas and things. So it was an an experience, not only for me, but I could also ask those questions of my uh, parents. Now, fiction? Uh, la- last year, the year before, the pandemic kind of threw us off with the years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to remember, was it two years ago? Was it one year ago? <laughs> I read the book Cast mm. by Isabel Wilkerson. It was a bestseller. And it is based on, as we think about racism in our country, but she talks about how it is a caste system not necessarily, there is racism, but it's built on caste. And the way she describes it, um, she takes us back to places in India and how the caste system there kind of influenced the caste system here in this country. And people don't often look at it uh, as a caste system, but just plain racism. It's an excellent book. It's a heavy subject, but her writing skills and the way that she puts it all on the page, doesn't make it seem as harsh and heavy to take in. It makes great, but great discussions.
0: Oh, let, me, let me ask you a follow up question. How do you, how do you like, you're talking about the, in the seventies when you were uh, having access to these books and you became an educator and you work in Chicago public schools. like. How's racism has changed from then to now?
1: Oh, when I was going to school, I mean, the schools were, I mean, well, of course, the city was really segregated. So, you know, pe- certain, certain people of color lived on certain sides of the city, certain communities. Um, we've seen some change in that, um, where some neighborhoods are a lot, a lot more integrated now. Especially nor- when you go north, like Rogers Park and um, it's one other area up there where it's just a, a, a mix of everything, which is important. I think when something started to change, I attended Whitney Young High School when it was first opened in mm-hmm. 1975. It was kind of like an experiment. It was a magnet school and it was about desegregation. So you're bringing all these people, all these children from different communities, different nationalities, different ethnic groups. So that was a change, not only for me, but for many of my high school friends, because we didn't have that opportunity where we all came together. Uh, I know people who are Asian. I know people who are Latino, African American, white, and we still communicate with each other. So That was kind of a catalyst for change uh, in the education system for me, but it didn't happen until high school. Mm, I see. But I I think now it's a little different. Of course, we still have all Black schools, we still have all white, depending on the community. Mm. But there's an opportunity um, for more exposure into different cultures and different races in some of our schools because of that magnet pro- that magnet school process and then you start to see some other schools kind of change too
0: i see thank you so much <laughs> uh cassandra who is or who are your biggest influences
1: mm. well on a personal note i would say my parents for sure Um, my mother was born in Arkansas in the 30s, segregated South. You know, she told me her experiences growing up and then she came to Chicago during part of the Great Migration uh, in early 1960 or so. Uh, But she always emphasized the importance of education. She made sure that we had books we would get books in the mail we'd get encyclopedias and they you know my parents weren't wealthy or anything they worked very hard but they made sure that we had some experiences that they did not have piano lessons dance lessons they wanted us to have those type of things um my dad was another one who was very uh He worked very hard for equity in schools, even before local school councils and stuff like that. Yeah, he and some others, they pushed uh, for equity in the schools because they saw that some of the children of color were not getting the same resources as some of the uh, wealthier schools or the white schools. So I saw that um, activism in them. So on a personal note, I give them all the kudos, <laughs> all the kudos. Uh, professionally, I have a couple of people. The one principal that I worked with at, at Turner Drew, we, we're, we're friends now. That even though we don't work together, we still talk. But I give her kudos because she allowed me to build my skills as an administrator.
0: Mm.
1: Sometimes I would make decisions, and they weren't quite the right ones, but she would sit down and we would discuss how it could have worked better, what are some things I could have done differently. And it stuck with me. And even when I was a principal, if I had a question or if I had a concern or issue and I needed um, a backup or I needed a little you know a little more or something, I could pick up the phone anytime and say, "Hey." Sabrina, I need you. I need to talk to you. How should I? How should I handle this? And she, no matter how busy, she would sit and we would talk, uh, talk it through. And I've had some other mentors uh, who really guided me through the principalship. And I remember one saying to me, "No matter what's going on at the district office, the network office, run your school." Yes. That's Mm -hmm. all you need to focus on, what's happening right here, right now. Run your school.
0: Great advice. Thank you so much. So as you know, we all have imposter syndromes, those moments where we feel, I I cannot do that, I'm not good enough, Uh, I I can't believe I'm here. Um, How do you address
1: this? I I know I've had it. And there are moments when I still have it, and some of the things that I've I'm trying to do uh, even after being in the school systems for so long. It's it's a hard one to overcome. Just being honest in my own opinion it's a hard one to o- overcome. Because you're going to always have those moments where you feel like am I the one for this job? Can I do this? Uh, so that you know it's it's like that struggle. Yes. And and sometimes it's that struggle of what I call lead, uh, leadership trauma. You have that fear. You have that uh, the fear of failure. You have the fear of shame and humiliation um, because you know if you make one wrong move, that could be the end of your career. Yes. Then you have that shame of I couldn't handle that. People are looking at you like she couldn't do the job. He couldn't do the job. How do you overcome it? Uh, I think, one, kind of believing in what you can do. Believing in those skills that you know you have. What you don't think you have. Learn, being a learner instead of being a knower. As principals, as administrators, people look at us to know everything. Yes. Know all the answers, to know how to do everything. So sometimes you have to be a learner. Those things that you don't know. You try to find out, how do I do this? And that means you have to ask for support. And we know how hard it is for people to say, I need support. Yeah. But don't be afraid to step out there and and ask for support. Um, And the last thing, if things become overwhelming uh, because you think, I I can't do this, I'm this imposter, sometimes you have to seek the therapy route.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Or a coach, you know, you get a coach. Um, and it's nothing wrong with that. One of, one of the statements that drives me crazy is when people say, fake it till you make it. Yeah. That's not good therapy. <laughs> that doesn't fix stuff. Uh, so I just encourage people to ask for that support and don't be afraid um, to do that. And don't be afraid to not know something. You're human. You don't have the S on your chest. Superman, superwoman. Yes, That's not you. So, you know, um, reach out. That's the most important thing. Reach out.
0: That's so good. You know, um, um, I, my worst imposter syndrome uh, period was when I uh, became an assistant principal because I thought the assistant principal had to know everything that he had to be the second best teacher in the building. Yeah. And, uh, you couldn't even make grammatical mistakes because immediately people were going to say, oh, AP misspelled. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate them. Uh, Being successful includes being on top of your productivity, but this means different things for different people. Uh, What reflections do you have on how you dealt with productivity when you were a professional? And how do you uh, deal with productivity after retirement and you have other positions and other places? What do you bring from the principalship to get yourself uh, Said to get things done?
1: Well, when when being a principal, so many things are coming at you at one time. They just are. So learning to prioritize what is the most important thing that I need to do right now. <laughs> and sometimes what other people thought were a priority was not necessarily a, a priority. It was a priority to them. Yeah. But in the overall scheme of things, what is most important for me to take care of um for my school for my my students and for my staff so i would try to prioritize that way the other thing that i try to do and it's very hard you know as a principal you mm-hmm. try to schedule things if you have a very good secretary or clerk that person kind of keeps you uh on track too yes mm-hmm. that's that's like I tell people the secretary and clerk is the most important person in the building,
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. you know, so, you know, trying to schedule things out, schedule appointments. um, And also if you're having meetings with parents, you know, trying to schedule in 30 minute intervals. Mm -hmm. And once that 30 minutes is up, you know, if we haven't wrapped it up, well, you know, we, can we continue this at another time? Uh, Because there's just so many things going on that I, you know, I have a schedule I need to keep. Um, The other thing with emails, in the morning when I would get there, I would always get there early. I would look at emails and then I may not look at emails again until noon. And then at the end of the day, because they're constantly coming. So you can't stop every 10 minutes and and check, um, check emails uh, what else? Uh, I also wrote things down. My mm-hmm. to-do list. Okay, and I still do that. I still write my little to-do list. And then I check things off mm-hmm. as, as I complete them. Uh, that's what kind of keeps me um, guided. Good. And what I want to really encourage people after if school, if the day is over at 4 or 4.30, leave work at work. You know that that teacher bag or that principal bag that you put in your car and you come in the house and you leave it at the door, where does, where does it end up? At yep, the door.
0: That's acceptable. Mm-hmm.
1: Make your personal time your time. You have to give yourself balance. And even now, I practice that where I have to give myself some balance. And that may mean after 5 o'clock, work emails are nonexistent. Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, the 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 doctor doesn't work when they're not on call.
1: That's right. So why are why are educators expected to do that?
0: Yeah, it took me forever to learn that lesson. I remember leaving the building 10, 11 o'clock at night, oh. working on weekends, and still feeling that I was not done. Why right, without realizing that. You're never gonna be done.
1: <laughs> you're, never, you're never going to be done. And when you yes. leave that job, they're gonna put somebody else in there. And what ends up happening, you burn out. You stress out. And it begins to affect your your physical and your emotional health. Yes. Yeah, and, and what I try to do now is be an advocate for educate, educator wellness. Mm. Let's not be, let's be preventative instead of, uh, no, let's be proactive instead of reactive. Yes. People say self-care and they try to hear about self-care, but it's important and we're responsible for our own health. We can't expect the district and organizations to take care of our health. We have to take care of it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So- Let's, let's talk about then uh, your books. So you have this uh, at some point with your busy lifestyle, you still decided to say, I'm gonna sit down and write this. Tell us about your journey as an author of your, what are your books about?
1: Okay, so the first book uh, is about, it's called Teach and Take Time for You, Strategies and Tips to Reduce Stress and Burn. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so I was getting towards the end of my principalship and really kind of heading into retirement. And one day I sat down, you know, I was just thinking about the stress. I was thinking about how we operate in this zone of stress and we never come down. We're just, you know, we got, it's the grind. Damn, we got to do it. Got to, And I started thinking about the toll it took on me. So I started jotting little notes down and stuff. And then I was like, you know, I think I'm going to write this book. And then I started writing down uh, names of the book and, and the tips to reduce the stress and the burden. Some of the little things I tried. And so I wrote, I wrote it. I had a friend. Um, kind of edit it for me and look, look through it. And so, you know, Amazon has this uh, where you can self-publish your book that, you know, they make it easy now. Mm-hmm. So I actually wrote it, designed the cover, published it, uh, you know, have sold some copies. I've done workshops on it, uh, on that topic st- uh, in different conferences. And I
0: just what what is mm-hmm. what is one or two tips, or what are the main tips uh, that you had in that book? If you can share at least one.
1: One tip that I had, and, and yeah, I tried to make them easy tips. Well, well, one we already said: don't take the work home. <laughs> we already said, don't take the work home. Yes. Um, sometimes you have to take a detour. When you're driving to work, maybe a little early, or driving home from work. Chicago's a little different because what I would do on the way to work some mornings, I would stop at the different beaches and watch the sunrise. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Because I had a long drive. What a One gift. One town to the other. Mm-hmm. And I would just kind of relax so what I suggested to people, sometimes take that detour, in, whether it's in the morning or on the way home. On the way home, maybe stop at a museum, maybe stop and get um, sit down at the coffee shop and just listen to the music and sip your coffee. Um, go for a walk, you know, at a, a park near you. Or fortunately for us, we have forest preserves that you can walk, you know, on the trails and things. Just trying to make it simple where you don't have to think too much about it. Get up in the morning, do your stretching exercise. Do something, if you wanna dance around your house, dance around your house, put your music on, and you know, yes. get groove going. dance around your house. Just, you know, little things you don't even think about that just might give you that moment of peace. Those are a couple of tips.
0: Yes, yes. So you wrote a a, a second book. And before you tell me about that book, what did you learn from writing and organizing the first one that you already knew and the second one?
1: I think just do it. Don't, Don't ponder it too long. If you feel like, I want to write a book, then of course you have to plan it out the outline, get your thoughts on paper but don't keep pushing it to the side and say I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it it seems like it's a hard thing but it's not as hard as it seems because now there's so many outlets where you can actually self-publish that book and that doesn't mean you got to get a box of books sent to your house it's print on demand
0: yes, yes, makes sense so tell us about the second book.
1: Second book, and we were uh, on lockdown in was pandemic. <laughs> Sitting at home, you know, like, okay, all right, I got to do something. I got to do something. So I started thinking about the topic of student engagement. And we always hear the term, uh, meet them where they are. Yes. Uh, you know, not where we think they should be. Ah. Uh. So I gave a few strategies and it started with you know effective lesson planning also giving students some uh, autonomy on what and how they learn talking about learning styles even though some, there's a debate about learning styles some yes. people say there are and some people say they aren't but you know we all learn differently so thinking about your students and how first of all most important is building those relationships with your students. If they if they know you care about them, other than putting out the work, mm-hmm. they they know that you know about them. They know that you know about their families, their situations. Then they will be more engaged on what you have have for them as far as work, how you talk to them, how you communicate. Uh, All of that. The relationships are so important. So many people miss that.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh,
1: Yeah, they miss that. And also, um, the creativity in the classroom doesn't. You can you can teach the skill without a book. And if you feel like there's something creative I want to do to help them learn that skill or learn that concept, then take that chance. Take that chance. And if it doesn't work the first time, then you tweak it. You find out what didn't work. And that's by asking your students to. And you know in those relationships how they learn. Start over. And there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yes. Amen.
1: test scores. (laughs)
0: Right. Nobody asked about, I was telling that to my children, you know, yeah, nobody asks successful people about grace they got in middle school or high school. It doesn't really matter. It's just a, a sign. Right? It's, a, it's a sign. Hey, you can go that way. So, um, I read uh, a couple of your blogs. Uh, you also engage in the art of blogging. I saw something about mental health. Uh, can you tell us about, um, um, your wanderings through the uh, blogosphere and uh, what uh, statements are you trying to make?
1: Well, as I said earlier, I am trying to become an advocate for educator wellness. It's really important to me. Uh, my blog, Teach and Take Time for You, and it's not just for teachers. It's also uh, for administrators, any educator. Uh, so I try to write Topics about health, uh, wellness. Um, I also try to give, sometimes there's some other stuff too about, uh, you know, just being an administrator or being a teacher, things that go on in the classroom. So I also do, (laughs) on Wednesdays, I do a little, uh, some reels. And I call it the Wellness Wednesday, tip of the day, quote of the day. It started out as a quote of the day, then it started being tips. So I just say, okay, it's a quote or tip. I like it. And it it will have, each week, I'll have a different little theme uh, about wellness. And it's a minute long. And it's amazing how it's kind of catching on. And people are like, okay, it's Wednesday. (laughs) What's your topic? Where's your topic? Right, where's your topic? What you know, you missed it. So even if I miss a Wednesday, I might do it on a Thursday and say, "Well, it's the Wellness Wednesday tip of the day." However, it's Thursday, but that's life. That's, that's life. Things. Uh, <clears throat> so my blog I started right after I wrote the book, "Teach and Take Time," For you, and um, kind of like as a segue into. This whole advocacy, getting the word out, and it's kind of caught fire a little bit because I've also had, <laughs> excuse me, offers to speak at some conferences about the topic of taking care of yourself. Yes, avoiding that. Uh, one one topic I had was, um, what was it? Uh, are you contributing to the chaos in your classroom? Thank you. So it's very reflective. Any, anything that I do is very reflective. I want people to think about their own situation and how they could possibly change that trajectory. It's almost like a coaching stance. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. How would it look if I made these changes?
0: And what got you so- into that? What got you mm-hmm. into that topic?
1: Which one, the chaos?
0: The, the, what got you into the topic of uh, people taking care of themselves, mental health, uh, how to think about it? Why, why <laughs> did you feel that need to share those?
1: Because of what I went through myself, as far as my health and uh, physical health, emotional health. I can tell you a story where at, at, towards the end of my uh, career with Chicago Public Schools. There was some very stressful situations going on. And I, my blood pressure shot up so high that one day I woke up and I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Wow. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend who was another administrator. And she's like, you should go to the ER. And I said, no, I got to go to work. <laughs> Like, you know how we are. We got go to work. I gotta yes. go to work. So on the way to work, because I lived far south and my school was far north. Mm. Uh, she kept calling me. She was like, I need you to at least stop at Walgreens or CVS and get your blood pressure taken. Mm. Okay, I will do that so that you stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. But as I was driving, I could feel that something was just not right. And I could feel like I couldn't get my, string my thoughts together. My words weren't coming out right. So I went into Walgreens, took my uh, blood pressure, and it was 199 over 120. And the pharmacist said, Oh my God. Yeah. And she said, I'm going to take the other arm. And it was 188 over 120. Wow. She said, I know. I know. But I went to work anyway. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It was summer, though, so it wasn't the kids there. Okay. Okay. It was summer. And the engineer saw me get out of my car. And he was like, Principal Washington, you don't look, you know, you just don't look your regular self. What's going on? I said, I'm going to go in my office and I'm going to just turn on the air, close the door. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did call my doctor and the doctor was, uh, you need to get over here like right now. But the doctor was way across the city. Oh my goodness. You know, the angels were with me that day. The angels and God were with me that day. So I did drive to my doctor's office. By that time it had come down a little bit. And she said to me, She said, what's going on? I told her everything that was going on at work and the district and politics. And she said, you know what? Either you can give that up or you can give your life up. Which one is it going to be? Yes. And I had to make the decision where I had to give that up. Because my life was not something I was ready to give up. Correct. So after that, that was that was a catalyst for me that said something's got to change. Let me start getting that word out that this job is not the be all, and it should not involve your the possibility of you losing your life. Amen.
0: Well said, uh, Cassandra. Uh, Wow. Uh, Cassandra, uh, any other mindful activities or things that you do that perhaps the people who know you as Principal Washington might not know? Uh,
1: I I love to go on walks. So when it is warm enough, (laughs) I go to different uh, trails within the Forest Preserve system and I, I take long walks and hikes. Uh, every morning I get up, I do 15 to 30 minutes of yoga stretching. And the one thing that I really love that the pandemic kind of put on hold is traveling. Mm. I love to travel. So I, I'm starting to get back in into that. But travel is is like there. You know, learning new, learning new cultures, seeing new things. You're away from it all, so those are some of my things that keep me sane and grounded. And Let of see. course, my faith. Cheers. Keep me grounded.
0: Let me ask you a couple uh, follow-up questions. When you walk, do you listen to something, or you're just listening to the environment?
1: I listen to the environment. Okay. okay. I don't. I don't do uh, music.
0: No really. headphones.
1: Plus, I like to be aware (laughs) of everything around me, you know, just in case the wolf is coming. We never know, right? (laughs) What about,
0: what has been your favorite traveling destination and why?
1: Hmm. I have a couple. Uh, 2018, was it 2019, I traveled to Jordan because I wanted to see Petra. It's one of the wonders of the world. Yes. So that was, it was quite an experience because, and it wasn't just Petra, it was other things about Jordan, but it's just amazing that centuries ago, this was built with no technology. And you, you stand there and you go, wow, mm-hmm. how, how did they do that? How did, how did they do that? And then the, the whole religious, uh part of that part of the world. We went to um, some, you know, the Jordan River. You think about where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Then there was a a place uh, where uh, Moses, um, you know, was there. So all of those things and you're thinking, wow, wow. But then the people and the culture uh, is what really made that uh, trip. We were in the desert in the Wadi Rum desert, where um, Lawrence of Olivier was filmed, and then also in Petra, uh, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark was filmed. Mm. So you have all of that history, yeah, modern and ancient.
0: And you're inside there,
1: yeah. And then you go to the Dead Sea, and you, you know, you could it's so salty that you know you just automatically float. So it was, pretty, it was a pretty cool trip. yeah. And I think wow. second was Egypt. Egypt was a really cool trip. Because again, the ancient civilization and you see the pyramids and you see some of the other ancient ruins and you're just like, wow, these people did this? Yes.
0: Yeah. Wow. And finally, what does your faith mean to you?
1: I think my faith is what keeps me, keeps me grounded and keeps me together. (laughs) Um, you know, you have to have some place spiritually and, and, uh, intrinsically that keeps you grounded and gives you that strength. You need to one, make decisions, life decisions, um, day-to-day decisions, um, to keep you at peace when you need that peace, uh, and also to help you just live a better life. Being a human, being giving, being kind, um, and showing love and hope.
0: Love and hope, wow. Thank you so much, Um, Cassandra. This has been such an interesting conversation. Any last thoughts you would like to share with the listeners of the
1: show? (laughs) I just say to people, um, life is short. So live at the best that you can. I know people have obligations, but your family and your friends want to see you around. So please, please take care of yourself.
0: Well, sir, Cassandra, it has been a luxury having you here. Thank you so much.
1: And thank you for having me.
0: Beautiful. Have a
1: fantastic Saturday. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.